0: Let's just pray that God will speak to each of us through this fascinating story. Lord, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, and we pray you'll make the Word of God alive and real to us now and apply it to each of our lives by your Spirit through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This is a great story, and as we follow it through, we shall see, as from verse 1, if you look at verse 1, I'm sorry that all through it says the king of Aram, that actually is modern Syria. So it's the king of Syria, and this is nearly 3,000 years ago, and I thought to myself, what is in the news today, pretty well every day, Syria. And Syria is a story at present of terrible suffering and awful tragedy. And we hear on the news regularly about Aleppo or Damascus or President Assad and so on. So it's very relevant, as we think, of Syria 3,000 years ago. And who is at the center of this story? Naaman, a leper who was healed, Yes, in a way, but also you'll see in this story, there is a slave girl who is nameless. There is Naaman's wife, and she is nameless. There is the king of Israel as well as the king of Syria. There is Elisha the prophet, and there are the nameless servants of Naaman. So let's start with Nerman in verse 1, and if you look at that, it says he was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, and then a little bit of a shock, because it says through him the Lord had given victory to Syria or Aram. The Lord gave victory to this man who probably worshipped idols regularly and knew nothing of the true God. But the Lord gave him victory. And in the Old Testament, we find regularly it tells us that the Lord is sovereign and is in charge. But the end of verse 1 Nerman was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Or in the old authorized version, but he was a leper. And this man, Nerman, probably must have been in the early stages of leprosy at that stage. I expect he was fearful what was happening to his body. And this illness, because he knew that lepers were cut off in ancient society. They were isolated. They were, in today's terms, in quarantine. And I often, when I get a story like this, say to myself, illness and tragedy comes to all people. However great or strong. And I find myself saying illness and tragedy either embitters a person or enriches a person. And I expect all of us here this morning have a but in our lives. you say, well, I'm getting on all right in life. Perhaps you even say I'm doing quite well. But I have a weak heart. I have failed my vital exams. I get very depressed. I hate myself. My marriage is in tatters. I have just lost my wife. I am so lonely. Nerman was a great man, but... And all of us, I'm sure, have buts. So let's look next at the Sovereign Lord and see the next character in the story. If you look again at that chapter 5 and move on to verse 2, you will see it speaks of a slave girl, a slave girl who was taken captive by Syrian bands, and she was no doubt living in Nerman's house and was serving, as it says, Nerman's wife, and she was unknown she is nameless she is in captivity but that was where the sovereign Lord was at work that slave girl knew God and his prophet in Israel Elisha and she spoke a young captive girl perhaps shy, perhaps awkward, perhaps fearful, but she spoke to her mistress. And that has something to say to you and me. If you're anything like me, I find reasons not to speak. I'm so cowardly and I find excuses. I think I might get in trouble if I said something. Anyhow, what good would it do But she spoke to her mistress. And the next thing we know in the story is that Naaman got permission and a letter. If you turn over the page onto page 424, we find that Naaman got permission and an explanatory letter from the king of Syria to the king of Israel. How did Naaman know to tell the king of Syria what that little girl had said? Well, presumably, Naaman's wife was bold enough to say to this great man what the little girl had told. And he went to the king of Syria. And so he went Then to the king of Israel with all his pomp and grandeur and delivered this letter. And the king of Israel was terrified. Is the king of Syria picking a quarrel with me? Why has he said this? Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? And so on. And the king of Israel was terrified. Enter Elisha, and the Sovereign Lord stepped in at that point and was at work again. <clears throat> who told Elisha about what had just happened? Perhaps that was a somebody who believed in the true God, And don't you think if you look at verse 9, have a look at verse 9, what a lovely moment. Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Can you imagine this? Probably humble, ordinary house. And here was this man with all his horses and chariots stopping at the door. So, what happens next? Elisha sent a messenger. He sent his servant to the door and opened the door and said to this great man with his horses and chariots, go and wash seven times in Jordan. And as you can imagine, Naaman was furious. Whatever next? Can you believe it? This man didn't even come out and recognize me in all my fame and greatness. And he wouldn't come and talk to me at all. He's told me to go and wash in the Jordan, that piddling little river Jordan. Whatever next? We've got far better rivers in Jordan. What a moment. And the Sovereign Lord stepped in again because he had lessons to teach us and Christians down thousands of years of history. He had certain things to teach us. First, you cannot come to God on your own terms of self-importance. The only way to find real life and true healing is to humble yourself and come to the foot of the cross where Jesus died. Secondly, he was teaching that in today's world, we need to take courage for God. We need to speak out for God, even to people in high places and leadership positions like this slave girl did. And thirdly, he was teaching us that God uses small, ordinary, sinful, weak, fearful people like that slave girl, like Nerman's wife. And at the end of the story, as we shall see like Naaman's nameless servants. I'm glad we're in the Old Testament at the moment because there are lots of things we can learn if we read and listen to the Old Testament more. And there are lots of examples similar to this story. Think of Moses. He was found as a three-month-old baby in the rushes in a wicker basket by the river Nile. And he went on to become of one of God's greatest leaders of Israel. Read the little book of Ruth, a little bit later than this, no, a little bit earlier than this in the Old Testament, and read about that girl who married a man from a foreign country of Moab, and then her husband died, her father-in-law died, her brother-in-law died, and she went off to a foreign country with her mother-in-law and looked after that woman in her loss. And Ruth became a, an ancestor of Jesus. He, she was in the direct line of Jesus himself. Or read a, th- a real thriller in the Old Testament called Esther. And the book of Esther before Je- Job and the Psalms, that is the story of an orphan adopted by a man called Mordecai, And that orphan girl later became the queen married to King Xerxes, king of an empire, it says, from India to the banks of the river Nile. And she and her adoptive father were faithful to God and spoke out, For him. There are lots of wonderful stories to teach us in the Old Testament. Try any of those. And these stories and this story of Naaman are examples of a wonderful truth that is spelt out in the New Testament. Let me read 1 Corinthians 1. Don't bother to turn it up. 1 Corinthians one twenty six. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. This is to the people of Corinth, one of the greatest cities, the most intellectual, great trading centers in the old ancient world. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, like this little diffident slave girl. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful commentary about this little slave girl and many others like her? Just this last week, Amy and Grace Hawksley have been at a house party at Hazelmere, and I was thrilled when they uh, booked in to come to that, and apparently had a great time there and learnt more about the Lord. And on Friday this week, Mary and I were with somebody who is now the headmaster of a big boys' school. And um, he and his sister came 23 years to those same house parties where they were in a different place at Mayfield in East Sussex. And that girl, Rachel, opened her life to Jesus on that occasion of coming to that uh, house party. Now she's married to her husband who was there on Friday, a, a Jew apparently, who is now a marvelous Christian. And those two, that um, Judah, the husband, and Rachel, they have led three church plants in Liverpool and Manchester. And she, apparently, Judah said, has often given her testimony how God called her 23 years ago to open her life to Christ. And it was lovely to see Rachel again. And she reminded Mary and me on Friday about a a, a fellow called Ben Bell. And I remember so well when Ben Bell came to a house party even longer ago. And he was the son of a vicar. And he was a total rebel. A great big fat chap who regularly fought his father. And he came around two or three, four times. And one day, apparently, he went down to the cellar in that great big school. And a boy went with him called Jamie Humberstone. And Jamie was as rough as they come. He was from a very unhappy uh, home. His life was in a mess. It was a broken background. But somehow, and I have to say, I believe Jamie has since been in prison. Somehow, down in that boiler room, Jamie pointed Ben to Christ. And he opened his life to Christ. And he became a youth worker in Islington and has done all kinds of things. And today, he is at Ridley Hall Theological College in Cambridge. And is going to be ordained. I guess his father will be very grateful to know that. But back to Naaman. Naaman's little story finishes in verse 13 and 14. And we find that those servants, those unknown servants of Naaman, simply said to this man, you are a fool if That man, Elisha, had said to you, go and do some huge and special thing. You would have driven off with your pomp and ceremony and done it. Why don't you go and wash in Jordan? And Naaman went and washed. And look at the end of verse 14. His flesh was restored became clean like that of a young boy. On our list, we stopped at verse 14, but just let me tip over into 15, because this is the final nub in the wonderful story. Naaman said, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. He gave his testimony, and he followed it up in verse 17. Your servant, that's him, will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. What a wonderful end to an amazing story. Nerman finished the story by standing up and saying, I know now. There is no other God but the God of the world, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God that you and I are called to follow and love and obey today. Let's just close with a word of prayer. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus Christ, for this remarkable story. And thank you that you're willing and able to use us in our weakness and unworthiness. You're willing and able to call us to follow you, to open our lives to you. As you did with that lovely girl, Rachel as you did with that slave girl two, 3,000 years ago, as you did and have done to so many people down the years, to call us to yourself and then amazingly use us, if we're willing, to speak up. Not great sermons, but just a few words just to speak of you, to live for you. And thank you, Lord, that you can use each of us here this morning to speak a word for you, to point another to you. Please give us strength and courage to do that. For your name's sake. Amen.